split level house we're working with here and uh, bathrooms are downstairs. We also have kids rooms open at this point down the hallway this way and uh, we have something new this week. We're calling it Fidget Field. It's the fenced in area uh, outside that's got a radio out there and you can actually hear the message out there. If you've got little people who are having a hard time sitting still and they're not going to bother me, but if they're going to bother you, you can take them out in the fidget field and you can still hear. So welcome to all of you who are inside this morning. Welcome to all of you who are outside under the tent this morning. Bunch of y'all out there. Yep, good to see y'all. Um, we're doing a series on marriage. Um, and I've been hesitant about this. I don't like doing series that target a particular group of the congregation. Uh, I did a series on singleness last year, which was really applied to everybody. And in the same way, this is really applied to everybody. I mean, we're all in Scripture married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so this really is a, pa- is a series about relationships. And we're looking through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 as we go through that. And in just a moment, we'll read that together. You can find that in your worship guide. But a couple of introductory comments. You know, marriage depends television. Am I coming in and out? Can I use a handheld? Use this anyway. So, um, you know, marriage on TV is often not depicted very well. Marriages are kind of cartoonish, especially just speaking as a husband. Husbands come off looking like kind of a doofus on TV. Um, But one exception to that was the TV show Friday Night Lights. Anybody see the TV show Friday Night Lights? It's about um, a coach and his wife. In Texas, and the coach is called to be the head coach. The guy, the guy, Eric, is called to be the head coach of Dillon football, and his wife Tammy is first the guidance counselor, and later becomes the principal of the school. And what's actually one of the most compelling things about the show is the marriage between Eric and Tammy. It's just so real, and it's refreshing, and it's super engaging. And in season one, there's this one scene that I want to reference. You know, uh, he does this thing where he invites the entire football team over for a barbecue at their house without asking her. I don't know why that'd be a problem, Uh, but he he does so, and she finds out about this and is not super thrilled about it, but she goes ahead and starts setting up, and there's this scene where they've had all the team over at their house, everybody's there, and there's a spill, you know, in the middle of the party, and they both run and grab towels, and it goes underneath this table, And they end up, the two of them, underneath the table, cleaning up the mess together, and they have this conversation. This is what Tammy says to him. Honey, I threw a party for over 100 people in two days. I did it with no help, and I'm cleaning up after your football stars, who, by the way, happen to be pigs. I'm doing it, and I'm not going to pretend to like it. Not right now, not down here. But when I get up there, I'll give you a big smile, right? just like I know you need, but down here I am pissed. And I'm going to stay down here until I can go back up there and give you a big smile, all right? Now, what I love about that scene and their marriage is it's just so real. Like, that's ordinary life. That's where people actually live, right? It's not, and this is one of the things you need to to know. Uh, We have a lot of above the table. Like, look, things look great above the table for a lot of us, a lot of our relationships. But you go down under the table, and it's a different story. And that's true for all of us. You know, you don't believe the above the table, okay? Because we're all below the table people. 
And, you know, I, I want to think about ordinary moments this morning. You know, ordinary moments, one of the hard things about ordinary moments like that is that ordinary moments are ordinary. <laughs> you know, they happen all the time. Uh, there are also ordinary moments because they, they're moments when we sort of think that God's not involved. You know, they, they, they're the moments when it's like, sure, I guess I could pray about this, but does God care about this? I mean, this is just a, this is just a little thing. Uh, and it seems like in a lot of places, God doesn't care or is not involved. Like, you know, God's kind of irrelevant to like, the ordinary stuff. Um, the other reason that ordinary moments are ordinary is we, we don't expect things to change in the ordinary. You know, I, I think for many people, we become accustomed or even kind of indifferent after a while, apathetic. You know, every relationship, and particularly this is true in a marriage relationship, but every relationship has its disappointments and sadnesses, and ways where we sort of miss each other, and you sort of get used to it. And one of the, the dangerous things about that is not like, oh, no, somebody's ripe for an affair, or this friendship is falling apart. What's actually really concerning is that's a place where you don't see how God is, could ever be involved. He seems irrelevant. You know, what we want in life are the big moments. We want big moments. We want the Moments you take pictures of and you could put up on the wall and you're like, this is the moment when everything changed and got better, right? We love big moments. But so often in the Bible, sure, God does some big moments, you know, on the road to Damascus. Saul's converted. But a lot of times it's the small. It's the Israelites on the trek every day going to the promised land. God's at work in the little moments. That's what we're going to look at this morning from Ephesians you'll turn to the scripture there in your bulletin. We in our church, we like to read this out loud together. So we're going to read this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And we'd ask you if you would read aloud together. You ready? Three, two, one. Now I, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have even given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray this morning as we open your word, you'd open our hearts. Lord, we need you. We're vaguely aware of that this morning. But, Lord, your word tells us over and over how much we need you. And we pray, Father, we would connect with that in a deep and profound way this morning and in a way that leaves us changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So ordinary moments is all we're reading about, really, in the book of Ephesians. I want to highlight there's one little word that we read in this passage that's like the, I don't know, it's like the chain of the necklace that you put all the little beads on. Uh, it's the word walk. This is throughout the book of Ephesians. So we read this here, uh, but walk is in Ephesians 2.2 and 2.10 and 4.1 and here in 4.17, 5.1, 5.2, 5, 
5.8 and 5.15. Now, why am I pointing that out? Because walk is so ordinary. You walk everywhere. Uh, you, you get up in the middle of the night to walk to the bathroom. Like, you don't even think about your walking. And walking is generally not sexy, right, unless you're on a runway somewhere showing off clothes. It's generally just a normal part of your life. You walk places. And so Paul's writing here when he's talking about our walk, about the ordinary life moments. So he says things like this. Be careful how you walk. Um, walk in love. Walk in the way of Christ. Don't walk like, the, like you don't know God anymore. Um, like walk. Walk in the calling you receive from God. This tells us God cares about the ordinary moments, the little things. The little things. I love Annie Dillard. She's a writer. She says this in her book, The Writing Life. She says this, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is really what we're doing. Again, the little things, not the big ones. Ordinary moments become extraordinary moments when we recognize their opportunities to see God in the picture and understand how Jesus meets us in a place in our ordinary relationships. He cares about those things intimately. So here's my big idea for today, if you take notes, the little stuff. Little stuff, often. That's, that's really my big idea. Little stuff, often. Small things, often. Small things over time create big change. Maybe you've heard this before. You know, if you're going somewhere, and you pull out your compass, and you're off by one degree, on the compass, right? Um, after 100 yards, that's not that much. That's 5.2 feet, off by just a little bit. Uh, after a mile, though, you're off by 92.9 feet. That's getting more significant. Uh, if you're traveling from San Francisco to L.A. and you get off by one degree, you'll be off by six miles. If you're going from San Francisco to D.C., Washington, D.C., and you're off by one degree, you end up in Baltimore. You don't end up in D.C., 42 miles away. And if you did that traveling around the globe from San Francisco all the way around to Baltimore, you'd end up in Boston by one degree. If you're going on a rocket to the moon and you're off by one degree, you end up being 4,169 miles off. If you're going to the sun, you're off by 1.6 million miles and traveling to the nearest star, you'd be off course by 441 billion miles. Like little things over a long time, just being off a little bit can may, mean you're way off over time, a long way. But here's the good news. The opposite is also true. The opposite is also true. It works the other way. Small things, little changes over time can make a big difference. So here's my outline. If you're a note taker, Really easy. Ready? Off, on, in. Off, on, in. Off, on, in. Okay, that's all we're doing this morning. And those all come from verses 20 through 24. This is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, that's the first one, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in, that's the in part, the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I'm going to apply this on two levels this morning. Real simple. First, how do you grow in your relationship with God? It's kind of like we got to get that. But second is how do we grow in our relationships with one another? And it's the same outline. 
off on end. Okay, so let's look at these. Paul is using an analogy of changing clothes. Take off the old clothes that don't fit with who you are. They don't match your new identity in Jesus. And put on clothes that match. Put on attitudes and behaviors. And here's what you need to know about this passage. So we didn't start in Ephesians 2, but I'm going to back you up and tell you what's going on. Paul is writing to a church of people who are not Jewish. They're not from the chosen people of Israel. And they're Gentiles, non-Jews by ethnicity and religion. And he's telling them, this is what it means to know God. This is what it means to have a life in God. This is what he tells them. Look, he says this in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, he doesn't say you were sick, you were weak, and you need a little help. Uh, you, you were struggling, and God came to kind of push you the rest of the way. No, he says you were dead. But God, and I've told you before, this is the one tattoo I want on my body, the two words, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with Christ, you've been, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him. That is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Now this is what he's saying. Look, dead people can't improve. Dead pe- people can't make themselves any better. If you go to a dead person and say, okay, I want you to take off some old behaviors and put on new ones, uh, dead person's, one, not going to hear you, right? Not going to respond to you and definitely can't put on anything or walk in anything. And this is really important because lots of people think this is what the Christian life is. I do good things and I stop doing bad things. Look, 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 before you can even do anything, you are spiritually dead apart from Christ. And it starts with what he does. God has to make you alive in Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, or if you think you're here and you're like, here to kind of finally turn it around this morning, you can't do it. You look like you're alive. You feel alive. It's springtime outside. But really, we're spiritually dead apart from him. You need God to make you alive. And this is what then Paul calls them to. If you've been made alive, put on things that match the new life. Put on new clothes. Put off the old stuff and put on the new stuff. Now, now look, um, Susan and I, we've raised six boys. We're still in process, okay? We're still working on that. But we're in the process of raising six boys. And showers are a big deal. And specific directions around showers are a big deal raising boys, right? So, you know, they go in. You have to ask, did you use soap? Did you use shampoo on your hair? Right, like that kind of stuff. And then, did you put on clean clothes? Because uh, this is kind of Paul's illustration. Um, if you go take a shower and you're all clean and you put on the dirty clothes you had before, it sort of cancels out the shower. Like It's not doing you any good. You need to put on clean clothes that match your new clean condition. That's what Paul's saying to them. This is what Paul is saying to them. You... If you're a believer in Jesus, you have had a bloodbath given to you by God. Now, that's a gross analogy, but that is the truth. We are bathed in the blood of Jesus. That's what makes us clean. We are made clean in him. Our sins are washed away. We sing this all the time. I mean, this is one of our favorite things to sing because it's such good news. And Paul's saying, look, I want you to put on clothes that match the new shower, the new bath you've had. Right? You're clean. Learn to live like the new you that's been cleansed. So put off 
put off, take off the old things. Since you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not merely like a new creation. You are a new creation. You are. Put off what doesn't match the old life. Now, now this is, like I said before, this is in the ordinary. I love how this, this is an old, old writer said this. He said this. What is putting off? It's the avoidance of little evils and little sins, little inconsistencies, little weaknesses, little foibles, little indiscretions and imprudences, little indulgences of self and of flesh, little acts of indolence or indecision or slovenliness, your favorite word in mind, right? We we said all the time. Or cowardice, little equivocations or aberrations from integrity, little touches of shabbiness or meanness, little indifferences to the feelings of other people, little outbreaks of temper or crossness or selfishness or vanity. The avoidance of such little things that goes so far to make up at least the negative beauty of a holy life. Take off those things and put on what matches the new life in Jesus. Uh, one, one writer, Paul Tripp, says it this way, how can you establish God, a godly character and a legacy? 10,000 little moments of humble submission. 10,000 little moments of foolishness exposed and wisdom gained. 10,000 moments of sin confessed and faith, uh, sorry, sin confessed and sin forsaken. 10,000 moments of courageous faith, little things. 10,000 moments of forsaking the kingdom of self and running toward the kingdom of God. See, put off, Put on, and then the last one, in. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I think this is key because otherwise this sounds like, man, how am I going to do this? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It tells us the power of God for how we can begin to take off things that don't match and put on things that do after the shower we've had in Jesus. This is, this is what this means. Um, this phrase, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, is over and over in the Bible. So I'm going to just call your attention to it. Fill your mind with things that are spiritual and heavenly. 2 Corinthians tells us, as Paul says, we don't lose heart. Our outer nature is wasting away, but our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Why? Because of this. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For what is seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, man, that's eternal. He's saying, think on what is unseen. In Colossians 2, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on what is lasting and permanent. Ephesians 1, Paul prays for us in the eyes of our hearts that they would be enlightened, he says this, so that we might know the hope to which Christ has called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What's the immeasurable greatness of his power? I mean, why does he want us to see that with the eyes of our hearts? He wants us to see that because that's what renews our minds in purpose, filling ourselves with God's power and purpose. And finally, Ephesians 3, he prays that we might have power to comprehend with all the saints, the height and length and breadth and depth, know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, and we may be filled with the, full, with the fullness of God. Here's my question for you. Are you filling yourself up with this? Are you being renewed? Are you, are you like taking action to set your mind on things that are above? To remember, oh yeah, this isn't all there is. My life is filled with worries this week and concerns and they wear me down. I mean, don't you feel this way? We're kind of beaten up and we drag in here. I'm like, man, I hope that somebody says something hopeful this morning because I need it. 
and so do you. Like, we need to be renewed, and we need to renew ourselves with this mind of Jesus, renewed in our minds. Now, if that's true in your, relation, in your relationship with God, this is also true in your relationship with one another. The same things that help you grow um, off on in, those are also true in our relationships with one another. And again, I'm trying to apply things for us in super concrete ways in relationships. Yes, marriage, but you can apply all these things in friendship, in relationships with your roommates, in relationships with your parents, people you live with, people you're close to. This is how relationships change. Small things often. Not the big stuff, not the photo moments from the anniversary or the wedding or that great beach trip, but the little things. What's said over coffee in the morning or not said? The way we treat one another, just driving in the car. Like, this is where change happens, off, on, in. And, and this morning, you know, I'm going to actually not talk a whole lot about off. We'll do more of that next week. And I, I think you could probably know the things you need to put off in your relationships. Probably you're very aware of the things you need to put off. But we're not as aware or creative about what we put on in our relationships. So I'm going to focus on on and then be renewed in, okay? That's my application this morning. Um, here's my on. This phrase, and if you got a piece of paper or a phone, I want you to write this down, bids for connection. Bids for connection. There's a researcher and a counselor named John Gottman, and he and his wife uh, are out in Seattle, and they have done statistical research over 30 years studying marriages. They've done all this analysis. They're not Christians. It's a Jewish couple. But they've just done lots and lots of statistical analysis over years trying to figure out what makes relationships last. Some of them last and some of them not. This is especially true in marriage. They, they actually, it's kind of Seattle, so just hang with this. They call their uh, center that they do all their study in the, the, the uh, love lab, okay? So like a little cheesy, but, you know, it's Seattle. We'll give, give them that. So they do counseling and research out of this. And you know what they found? What's the difference between Couples in marriage, we'll focus on this for a minute, that go the distance and the ones that don't, well, they found out, you know, it's, it's actually not that much about how much negativity there is in the, in the relationship. They, they studied this, and they found that, like, couples that don't make it only have slightly more negativity in their relationship with one another. Like, 1.25 times more. I told you, it's research, right? So, lots of n- numbers here. But here's what they found. The couples that make it and go the distance have a ratio of five to one of positivity to negativity in their relationship, even in the middle of a disagreement. That's crazy to me. That means that, like, positivity in a relationship, putting on things that build up a relationship over time really, really matters even more than the amount of negativity in a relationship. So let me, let me kind of pull that out. See, what this means is that you can think of a relationship like a bank, like an emotional bank that you make regular deposits into and withdrawals from. When, when, when you, you, you can build up goodwill, it's like building up your balance. You have an argument or a fight, you miss each other, you say something mean, it's like a withdrawal, right? That's how that 
he's designing that or thinking about that. See, we all have moments in our closest friendships, in people, relationships with people that we live with, parents, kids, friends, right? Like, and especially spouses. We all have moments where we're insensitive, uh, we're thoughtless, we, we say mean things that we don't really, really mean to say, but man, comes out. And, and you know, what he says is that relationships can handle those moments, those temporary withdrawals, if there's a regular pattern of putting on, of building into a relationship positive bank balance. And, and this is what he says, this is so simple, it's almost stupid for me to share this this morning, but just bear with me, okay? Pretend this is for the other people in the room, right? One of the simplest put-on behaviors is recognizing and responding to what he calls bids for connection. Bids for connection are those dozens of ordinary moments where we can be fairly, like, zoned out, not paying attention. And these are opportunities for either turning toward one another or turning away from each other, right? Turning toward or turning away. That's what, it's called a bid. Somebody is like, hey, and you either respond positively or you ignore it or turn away from it. You either move toward or away. And a lot of these flow by unnoticed. Like, these are all the time. Right? These are so simple. And it's like, can I give you this example? Um, these little moments and how we respond to them are like saving quarters. Anybody got a big jar full of quarters? When I was a, when I was a kid, I had a big, giant jar full of quarters. And, you know, saving quarters doesn't go very far in a short period of time. But over a long time, you get a jar full of quarters, it adds up. Right? And you keep adding quarters to the jar Small things often, putting on in our relationships, it makes a big difference. So we're going to do a little interactive activity this morning. I'm going to give you three vignettes, okay? And I'm going to ask you, are, is this an example of someone turning toward the other person or turning away? And I'm expecting a verbal response, okay? So this, we're that kind of church. You've got to talk to me, all right? So partner number one, isn't that a beautiful boat? Partner number two, no response, keeps reading the newspaper, Okay, turning toward or away? Away. away. Man, you are on it this morning, right? Okay, Part, so let's do this again. Hey, partner number one, isn't that a beautiful boat? Partner number two, pulls down the newspaper. Yeah, it looks like one of those old schooners. Turning toward or away? Toward. Just acknowledging. I heard you. Oh, yeah, it's a schooner. I, was that a really important conversation in that relationship? It's, it doesn't seem like it, does it? It's not about the bills. It's not about, you know, where we're, our job change. Little moments. All right, let's try another one. Um, partner number one, that jerk at work, Fred. He didn't show up until really late. I got stuck in tra- traffic. I'm sorry I'm late. Partner number two, why are you always bringing up Fred? I'm so tired of hearing about Fred. Who cares about Fred? You're late again and trying to blame it on Fred. Okay? <laughs> Turning toward or away? Away. Well, good. Okay, you guys got this, right? So let's try it again. Let's try that same scenario. Partner number one. That jerk at work, Fred, didn't show up until really late. I got stuck in traffic. I'm sorry I'm late. Partner number two. That sounds super frustrating. I'd love to wring his neck. <laughs> Partner number one. Me too. Partner number two, I'm kind of upset you didn't call me and let me know, and now dinner is cold. Partner number one, you're right, I should have called. I'm sorry. 
Partner number two, we've talked about that before. Partner number one, I know, I guess I was so absorbed in being mad at him, I completely forgot about calling. I'm really sorry. How about we go out? Partner number two, wow, that would be great. All right, turning toward or away? Toward. Last one. Partner number one, I had the most disturbing dream last night. Partner number two, I don't have time for this right now. <laughs> turning toward or away? Away, good, okay, you guys get this, right? Uh, let's try it again, right? Partner number one, I had the most disturbing dream last night. Partner, partner number two, I wish I could hear about that right now. Unfortunately, I'm kind of late. Can you remember it? And can we talk about it afterward tonight? Turning toward or away? Toward. See, those are attempts at engagement or emotional bids are just any little effort uh, on the part of one partner to connect with the other one. See, the one saying, hey, I'm here, and, and, you know, it's not big stuff, but it's little things that say, I see you. Hey, you matter. You're important to me. It could be eye contact. It could be nodding your head. It can be acknowledgement. It's just the little stuff, and you don't have to be great at this. You're like, you don't even have to pick up on 75% of these, but just picking up on some of them really matters in our relationships. It really, really matters. Again, nothing unique to marriage. Like, none of this is like the special sauce of marriage that I'm giving you. This is just the special sauce of relationships, right? Putting on simple things that matters. You know, we all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 24 hours in a day. Um, how we connect or fail to connect in those little ordinary moments that don't seem like they matter, you know, turning toward a person or turning away, this is the stuff. This is the stuff um, that says to another person, I see you. You matter to me. You're important. And the other person's asking, hey, are you here with me? Do I matter to you? And you're responding. You're giving them a metaphorical yes by this. You know, again, how do you find the power to do this? Again, one more thing. Every person you know is, who's a Christian will one day be a glorified version of themselves. Right? This is how you be renewed in your mind. Every person you know who's a Christian will one day be a glorified version of themselves. They will be a person that if you met them now would be so beautiful and so compelling, uh, so interesting, so glorious, and I mean every bit of that word, that you would be tempted to worship them. That's what C.S. Lewis says. You, you would be so stunned, and right now that person looks kind of overweight and dowdy and boring. Right? That's the truth. If y'all... <laughs> Like, right, we know each other. We're normal people. And, and here's the thing, though. If, if we have eyes that are set on eternity and we're heavenly minded and we're being renewed in the spirit of, my, of our mind, one of the greatest things we have in our relationships is the power to imagine, to a power to say, this person, I, I have in my relationship the power to help this person become what God is making them to be in eternity. I have the power to build up and put on and, and engage in such a way that says, you. I, I, and you know what happens? You, you, you imagine one day I'm going to stand beside you in eternity and glory and say, I knew it. 
I knew this is what you were going to be like. You know, like sometimes in our relationship, it was really cloudy. I couldn't see the new you. I just saw lots of the old you, <laughs> like lots of the bad habits and lots of the, the, the ways that you struggle to, to really deal with your sin. But sometimes, and there's some days when those clouds just parted just a little bit, and I could see a little glimpse of the new you, and it gives me just such encouragement to keep going, to keep hoping, to keep imagining. Brothers and sisters, God is taking us toward a glorious future that we can't imagine. And we're surrounded by eternal beings every day. The people that you walk with and talk with and work with, the people who sleep in the next room or in the same bed, that is an eternal being. That is a person made in God's image who, if they know Jesus, have been given a bloodbath, And they are becoming a new you, which you cannot imagine. And yet, you help. You can help beautify. This is a picture for us of why marriage matters, why our relationships matter, what we're even doing in all these little ordinary moments. May God give us grace to have our minds set on things that are above. Let's pray together. Lord, we we pray. Lord, it's, it's hard for us to imagine this. This seems ethereal and far off, especially in those ordinary moments. Lord, give us grace this week to just respond once or twice differently to others around us. Lord, teach us how to love. We're not real good at it. And and we've, we've spent years thinking we were really good at it. But Lord, we're finding out how much more we need you. Lord, help us this week to put off, to put on, and be renewed in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.